Welcome to our first service of 2018. And this year we feel God's, I suppose every year in some ways, but this year we feel he's speaking about discipleship. And everywhere I go, churches are thinking, God's emphasizing discipleship this year. I've lost count of the churches that are saying, saying that's our emphasis this year. So God's speaking about it all over the place. So what does it mean to be disciples of Jesus And as Christians, we all walk around with L plates. We haven't made it, whether you uh, made a commitment to God a week ago or 40 years ago. You're still walking around with an L plate. We need to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Is the first slide up, Sam. Then I can move them forward if you put the first one up. Sam always gets in the way of what's... uh, Well done, Sam. That's fantastic. So we're looking at following Jesus. We've got our L plates on. We want to do that better. We haven't made it, but we want to go on following Jesus. And we want to be here to encourage each other to do that, to get closer to Jesus, to become more like Jesus, to come to know God in the first place if you don't yet, and to grow in God if you do. And we need to do that individually and personally but also we can help and inspire and encourage each other. And one of the other things I like in our church is house groups. How many of you are in a house group? Give us a wave. It was a really good time to gather together in someone's home. My group has the best hosts, Vina and Sheila over there. Give us a wave. And uh, it's really good to gather together and go deeper with God and encourage each other. One thing I learned last term in house group was that the average age that our house group became a Christian, a committed Christian, was 21. That was true of our group. So obviously there's a real need to emphasize the work of the gospel in youth and young adults. The average age between the group of us that we became Christians was 21 in our group. And the other thing I learned was that all of us had seen miracles happen. That was really encouraging, every single one. And when I say miracles, I mean someone saying, I had cancer and I'm cancer-free now years later. Or someone saying, my sister was dying. Uh, They said she would die within a week and she's alive 10 years later and she's got married and had a child. So it's really good to meet together and to encourage each other. So a year of encouraging discipleship and a good starting point is hearing from God let's start this year in January with hearing from God it's so important we can hear from God through prophecy it's good to pray for each other and if God's giving you a word to share with someone else have the courage to share it we can hear from God when we're praying personally or in a group we can hear from God when we see a vision or through dreams. So if you fall asleep, that's absolutely fine because God could be speaking to you. We can hear from God through friends. And over the next few weeks this month, we'll be looking particularly at hearing from God in different ways and different people that heard from God in different ways. And then at the beginning of February, we're going off on our weekend away. Now, last week, uh, we started the series and we looked at someone called Timothy. And there's a few things we noticed. I'm not going to repeat uh, Steve's sermon, but it was interesting to see he had faith in his family line. So in his grandmother, Lois, she was a genuine believer. Then his mother, Eunice, was a believer. And so there was a spiritual history there. And Timothy was able to get things from God because he had his grandmother and his mother praying for him. So we want praying parents and grandparents 
or if you're not physically a parent or grandparent, spiritual parents and grandparents, praying for the rising generations is so key. One little thing to notice there, it was granny and mum. Where were the men? And sometimes you look around, churches and spiritual life, and there's two or three women for every man. That's not true here, I don't think, this morning. Where were the men? There's missing men. And so if you're a granny or a mum, pray in the men as well to balance things out. But let's be praying for children, praying for the next generation. He also heard from God through personal prophecy and people laid their hands on him and prayed for him and God spoke into his life. So that was great. He had mentoring from Paul and mentoring is really crucial. Paul showed him how to live the Christian life, how to have a walk with Jesus, how to understand God's words. Mentoring, we can do that for one another. He received a spiritual gift when he was prayed for. And that's really good. We all have gifts given to us from God. And Paul said, fan into flame that gift that you've got. Don't let the spark die out, but fan it into flame. That's really important as well. And he had a passion for passing the faith on. And we want to grasp our faith, grow in faith, but have a real desire to share our faith with others and encourage each other. So we learned something from Timothy last week. And this week we're looking at a guy called Josiah. Now what do you know about Josiah? He's good looking. Okay, Sam, I know you appreciate male beauty in that kind of way. So I don't know if that was what he actually looked like. But that's Josiah. Anything else you know about Josiah? He was good. He was a good bloke. He was a young king. Well done, Ruth. He was a boy king. How old was he when he became king? And he advanced on seven. Eight. He was eight years old. He was a boy king. Obviously, he had people to help him at that age. Anything else you know about Josiah? Yep, so the book of the law was discovered in the temple as they cleansed it and repaired it, and that had a big impact on his life. Anything else? That's a good start, isn't it? So he was this boy king in Israel. He reigned for 31 years from about 640 to 609 BC. And I want to say a few things, but I want to emphasize the hearing from God, and particularly hearing from God, from God's word that Luke mentioned from uh, Josiah's life. But the first thing I want to look at is power. Now we've talked about our matchless king or sang about our matchless king Jesus and Paul's prayed about what kind of king and ruler do you want. And you kind of escaped news in recent days of uh, a certain president saying, my nuclear button is bigger than yours and mine works how does he know it works? I hope he doesn't find out whether or not it does. He doesn't even know it works. Presumably he hasn't pressed it yet, and I hope he doesn't. But he is, of course, a very stable genius. Um, Josiah was a good king. And I want to, before we look at how he heard from God, just to say it's exercising power is so important nationally, but also in relationships in life. There's lots of power things going on in relationships. And you've, sometimes you're, you're weak and vulnerable and manipulated. 
Some people are unfortunately like that, and others have power over others. And can, you can use that for good, or you can use that for evil. And uh, there's that phrase, you know there, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I was trying to look up who said that first. Apparently a number of people said something similar. Uh, but in 1887, there was a guy called Lord Acton, and he said this power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. It's a sober warning, isn't it, about power? But Jesus shows us a very, very different model of power. The one who's the greatest is the one who serves and lays down his life for others. And we need more Jesus-style power going on in our relationships, in our churches, and in our nations. And Josiah was a good king, so some good news here. 1 Samuel chapter 8, at the time of Samuel, the people said, we want a king so we can be like the nations around us. And Samuel talked to God about it, and God warned the people what it will be like. And he said things like, if you had a king, they'll put some of your sons in the army. They'll make others be forced laborers. They'll make your daughters work in the palace. The king will take your best lands. The king will make you pay taxes. But they still said, even despite that, we want a king. But back in the Torah, God actually prescribed good regulations for kingship. And Deuteronomy 17 says this, The king must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you not to go back that way again. The king must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It's to be with him, and he's to read it all the days of his life so he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the left or to the right. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. So right there, back thousands of years ago in the time of Torah when God's law was given, there are good rules for how to use and not abuse power. And we can be mindful of these ancient words and take them on board and not think highly of ourselves if we're leaders and to have the law with us and to read it constantly. How good would that be? But unfortunately, power did corrupt and uh, you get to Josiah. The two kings before him, his dad and his granddad, were Manasseh and uh, Ammon. And uh, Manasseh had a brief kind of turning to God uh, at one point, but his reign was pretty much evil most of the time. And they were bad kings, and lots of evil came into the nation. And 2 Kings 21.16, it says this, Manasseh, shed very much innocent blood until he'd filled Jerusalem from one end to the other with innocent blood. And we look at the news and we see nations where power is abused and that innocent blood uh, is shed and uh, people get a, a town back 
in Syria. Maybe they're happy to get the town back, but it's uh, just rubble. And thousands of people have been killed and their blood shed in the process. Power is incredible thing, but it has to be handled in a godly way. And with Manasseh, uh, we don't know for, for sure, but there's a Jewish tradition that Isaiah was sawn in two during Manasseh's reign. Not a very nice guy. But Josiah was a good king. It says, 2 Kings 22.2, He did right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. He kept straight on in God's way. Obviously, David wasn't his actual father. He was his ancestor. At the age of 16, Josiah began to seek God really seriously. At the age of 20, he began to purge evil out of the temple and the nation. And at the age of 26, he started to repair and rebuild the temple. And that's a good model of power in uh, history there in Israel. So just finally on power, before we look at how Josiah heard from God, the church in power, what's the role of the church in public life? What do you think? What's the role of the church in public life? And if you look at the history of the church, uh, we were a persecuted minority in the days of the early church. But uh, lots of people laying their lives down for God, lots of radical serving God, no church buildings, no great wealth in the church. And then the Roman emperor Constantine came along and he stopped the persecution. And he stopped persecuting Christians and recognized the Christian faith. That must have been wonderful in one way. But a lot of people have said that getting power through that has corrupted the church. And we've had Christendom where the church has had a significant impact and influence in society. But at the same time, has that power corrupted the church and twisted it and changed it from what it should be? So should faith be a private matter? Is there any room for a Christian voice in the public square? What do you, what do you think on that kind of thing? It's a real debate, isn't it? Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell were famous for saying, we don't do God. So if you're prime minister, don't do God. And Tim Farron, uh, who was leader of the Lib Dems recently, struggled with faith and, power and leading a party and said this, to be a leader, particularly of a progressive liberal party in 2017, and to live as a committed Christian, and to hold faithful to the Bible's teaching, has felt impossible for me. That was his personal opinion and his experience. So it's a big debate, isn't it? Where does the church stand? How should we have power? Should we have power? I personally think there should be Christians in politics. I think that's great there should be christian voices in the public square but we need to have a christ-like attitude we need to not abuse any power that we're given and allow ourselves to be corrupted and one thing i noted was that uh, the leadership of israel was uh, governed by king priests and prophets and i quite like that the division of those things and with a king i personally have doubts about the church being in power i think the example of christendom doesn't show that really reflects the kingdom of jesus so i have great reservations about the church being in power until jesus comes again 
and he leads the kingdom. He's the only powerful person we can trust. I remember years ago going to uh, a rally in Trafalgar Square and lots of things happened in Trafalgar Square, concerts and rallies and things. I can't remember what it was for, but it was a Christian rally. And uh, there's a little stage under Nelson's column and there's, I don't know, five, 6,000 of us and we're worshipping Jesus and celebrating something that's going on. And I just felt this feels safe. It doesn't feel that's going to be a, a riot. It's not about anarchy. We're not trying to push ourselves forward. It just feels like, you know, God's kind of in charge of this. It's a godly way of gathering and praying for the nation. So king, I'm not sure we should be king, but priests, I think we should be and are priests. And we're called to pray for those in power, to pray for those that exercise authority. And maybe we don't do that enough. Hopefully we can do some of that tonight at our prayer meeting. And prophets, I think we should be, as the church, prophetic to the powers that be. And maybe that's the reason for being separate from power to a degree. So there's a healthy distance and we can speak and act prophetically in a way that's a witness to those that are in power. And a phrase that's gone around more and more recently is speaking truth to power. And we need to do that, and not just speak it, but to demonstrate it. I was thinking of Simon Pellew, some of you know his daughter who comes to this church, Sarah. And he had a passion for people that were unemployed. We're going back... 20, 30 years, high unemployment, particularly in the big estates in inner London. He did a project to uh, create jobs and change people's lives in the inner cities. And that was separate from government. He did it out of his faith in Christ. I can see a few people in this room that worked there. And it was a great witness. And actually government called on him and said, you're doing a great thing. Give us some advice. And I kind of like that. So we're priestly, we're praying for those in power. We're not in charge ourselves as church as king. And we're also prophetic. We're saying and doing things that are a good and positive witness to those in power. So that's power. It's a little bit of an aside. And we come finally to the kind of main point of Josiah and his kingship. He held power Uh, reasonably well which is great he came from a background of a corrupt father and grandfather but he heard from God he got hold of God's words and he began probably one of the best and most significant reform programs in the history of Israel very very significant so what can we learn from how he heard from God that will help us today and there's a few things about how Josiah heard from God. And we're going to rush through the first few and then just particularly focus on the word as we come to an end. And the first thing was that his heart was in the right place before God. He wasn't obsessed with himself. He wasn't uh, narcissistic in all the wrong kind of ways. But he was humble towards God. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning to the right or to the left. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 17, it says, people look at the outward appearance. And the other uh, thing about Donald Trump is there's supposed to be this thing from his daughter or something that came out about how he gets his hair on top of his head every day and how it's kind of 
yanked up round the sides and knotted together and combed over and sprayed or whatever. God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So Josiah's heart and our hearts are really, really important. Acts 13.22, I've found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. And Josiah probably had the, the heart that was most open and most soft to God since the early part of Solomon's reign. So David had a heart after God. Solomon in his early uh, kingship had a heart after God. And then he was corrupted later in his life. And probably Josiah had a heart that was most open, ready to hear from God. And that's the first thing. If we want to hear from God, we've got to do what Ezekiel said, get our hearts of stone taken out and receive a heart of flesh that's receptive to God and his word. That's the first thing. So... Josiah had his heart in the right place, his heart open to God. And if you want to hear from God, then have your heart open to him. Secondly, there was a purging that went on. And if you read about Josiah's reforms, there was a huge purging of evil. People were worshipping false idols right around the country. And uh, they were uh, even worshipping those idols in the temple of God. And Josiah went around and had a complete purge and cleared up and cleared away all that idol worship. Now, we might not have nice little idols on our mantelpieces, but people worship idols of money, sex, power, celebrity. We worship those idols, and there was a huge clear out. So maybe if we're going to hear from God at the start of this year, we need a bit of a, a purging need to repent before God, a bit of a clear out. I don't know where you're at with your Christmas presents, where, whether it's the, the thing you always wanted. We actually went round someone's house and gave their five-year-old a present. And he said, it's just what I've always wanted, and that's great. So I don't know whether your presents are like that or whether they're already for sale on eBay. Uh, but maybe in a bit of a clearing out physically, but also a bit of a clearing the ground spiritually at the start of this year, so you can hear from God. And that was true of Josiah. Another thing was that he was aware that he was in a covenant relationship with God and the nation of Israel were. And he wanted to reestablish and reaffirm that covenant. It's a loving, committed relationship with rights and responsibilities. And the nation was in that relationship, but often turned away from it. Now, we live in a covenant-breaking society, don't we, to a large degree. I remember when I used to work in business in the city, uh, there was a guy who built up a big church called St. Helen's Bishopsgate in the heart of the city of London. Uh, And when he first arrived to minister in the city, late 50s, early 60s, he really felt, to a significant degree, the businessmen he was meeting were saying, my word is my bond." And they meant it. And to a large degree, I don't know, I wasn't there, but a large degree, there was huge integrity in business. And if I said I was going to do something, I did that. I wasn't trying to stitch you up. I wasn't trying to make a fast buck out of you. But when I heard him later in his ministry in the the late 1980s saying, that's all gone. In 20, 25 years, that integrity that I saw, that word is my bond, that's gone. 
And obviously a great covenant relationship pictured in our lives is, is marriage. And uh, 42% of marriages in England and Wales end in divorce. And I know there's a lot of innocent victims there, a lot of people I've met. So I didn't want to, but my partner insisted. But we're, we've got covenant breaking all around us. But Josiah reaffirmed the covenant with God. He stood next to the pillar in the temple and he said, we're reaffirming that we're in a committed covenant relationship with Father God who loves us. He has blessings for us. We have responsibilities in our lives towards God and towards each other. And we're renewing the covenant today. And maybe that's another good thing to go into this year with, that heart for covenant renewal. And Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You obviously can't govern what your older children will do as they grow up, but to have that heart, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I thank God that I'm in a covenant relationship with him because of what Jesus has done for me. And a couple more Worship, the temples cleansed, and the worship life of the nation is restored. And that's really, really important. Worship so crucial to us, and I'm glad we're going to turn to worship again shortly. And then one more before we get to the word, and it's prophecy. The word, the Bible was rediscovered, and Josiah wanted confirmation from the prophets. And they went particularly to a leading prophet of the day. And it was a female prophet, Huldah. So all this stuff about women not being able to do things. Way back then, the leading prophet of the time was Huldah. And she prayed to God, and she gave him two specific prophecies. One was for the nation, and one was for him personally. And that's great to hear God's word through prophecy. And if sometime in 2018 you receive a word from God in that way, that's wonderful. What was happened uh, for Josiah. Uh, the first one wasn't so, so much good news. What she said was that despite all the efforts of reform, evil was so ingrained in the nation that they were going to be judged and exiled. So it was sad to hear. It didn't stop Josiah. He went ahead with the reforms. Maybe he thought God would change his mind, but that was her first prophecy. And her second prophecy was that Josiah was respected by God and he would die peacefully. But he got two prophecies for God, personally and nationally. Let's be open to hearing from God. And if you were here over Christmas, Stevie was talking about prophecies he received from God, particularly as a child, and how he's picked up on them later in life. But finally, and probably most significantly for Josiah, he heard from God through the Bible that impacted his life. And here's uh, a passage about that from 2 Kings 22. Let's just read it through quickly. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Sharpan, the secretary. Actually, we've got, we have a Hebrew scholar here, Naomi. And uh, she does these words. And she does these, what's in a word from Hebrew? What does Sharpan mean in Hebrew? It means rock badger. Why would you call your son rock badger? I just thought I'd, I could get that one in. Hilkiah the high priest said to Sharpan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Sharpan who read it. Then Sharpan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. He read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. 
He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahakim, son of Sharpan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Sharpan the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that's been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who've gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have acted, they've not acted in accordance with all that's written there concerning us. And we see the book of the law was rediscovered. What was it? It was the Torah. And you, if you were here last year, you know all about the Torah. Uh, probably specifically it was Deuteronomy or part of Deuteronomy. And they saw what was in God's word. And you, again, you see Josiah's heart. His heart is, no, I've torn my clothes. We've disobeyed the word of God. We haven't followed God's word. And uh, we can't, this, it's the same today. We need to hear and follow God's word. So what did Jesus say? We've got these words from Matthew. Let's read them out together and then we'll finish here. Do not think I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Truly I tell you. Thank you. A few things just to to point out. One is that all of God's word is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the embodiment of God's word. In John chapter 1 it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if we're truly grasping God's word it needs to look like Jesus. So if you're a a miserable, narrow-minded, legalistic person, you're doing something with God's word, but you're probably not getting it properly because the word looks like Jesus. It was fulfilled in Jesus. It's embodied in him. God's word is enduring. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word won't. Scripture was here a long time before we were here. And scripture will outlast us. God's word will go on forever. It's enduring and it's indestructible. That's the power in God's word. God's word has authority. We're not to change the smallest letter or least stroke, the kind of squiggle and the dot in Hebrew. Even those are important. So we talk about the canon of scripture And a canon means a measuring rod, a measuring line, something straight to judge other things by. So there's a truth and an objectivity in what God has said to us. remember years ago going to Italy for the first time. I thought I'd go and see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And obviously something's gone a bit wrong with that building. Uh, Actually, I turned up in town and I thought, where is it? And I saw these signs with a leaning tower and an arrow. So that's really helpful. So I walked all around Pisa and eventually got there. And then found out that was the one-way system for cars, and I could have just walked straight there. <laughs> but I got there, and there's three buildings, uh, not just the baptistry, the cathedral, and then the tower. But it's kind of like that. And in those days, they didn't have any kind of fencing around it, so you could just fall out of it. And if we are not lining ourselves up with what God said in his word, we'll get towers that are leaning and falling over and things going wrong. God's word is to be taken seriously, it's to be engaged with, to be examined and to be wrestled with. And some things are obvious, but other things in God's word are difficult, are hard to understand. I was listening to a CD, Nigel Wright, used to be a principal of Spurgeon's College, preached here 
13 years ago and said about he's got a PhD in theology, but there's some things that the Bible doesn't understand that he wrestles with, some things he wishes weren't there, and he tries to get his heart and mind around it. And there's a thing called hermeneutics, the art and science of interpreting the Bible. And we need to engage with God's word, to read it systematically, to get a picture of the whole counsel of God, and not just to pick one verse and say that's it. And that's a a lifetime's responsibility, but it's really, really important to do. And people do get it wrong. I was thinking about how Jesus saw people understanding the Bible. And there was the law of Corban. I don't know if you've read this little bit in the Gospels. Uh, And the law said, you have a responsibility to provide for your elderly parents. There was no uh, benefits. They They were living on the same piece of land of you. They had no independent income. So when you kind of took over the farm, you had responsibility for your elderly parents. But there was also another law that said you could give your stuff to God, make it available to God. And what the Pharisees were doing, when they were saying, we can't do anything for our parents because all of our stuff is given to God. It's Corban. The fact is it stays with us and we kind of look after it for God's sake. But we can't give anything to our parents because we've given it all to God. Yeah, right, Jesus said. So you can take the scriptures and twist them, but it's really important not to. And there's lots of other examples that we could do. So engage with scripture this year. How many of you read the whole Bible once at least? Quite a few haven't. Again, Nigel Wright was saying people turn up at Spurgeon's College to do theology and a lot of them haven't read the whole Bible once. There's a wonderful adventure to have there in reading God's word. I encourage you to get into it this year. Uh, He gave the example of Jacques Derrida. Have you heard of him? French philosopher, and he came up with deconstructionism and was behind postmodernism, things like that you probably have heard of. And someone interviewed him, and uh, it was apparently near the end of his life. And the the guy said in his house, we're in a, a room here, and this room is full of books, floor to ceiling. There's loads of books. You're in your mid-70s. Jack, have you read them all by now? And he said, no, I've read four of them. But the four that I have read, I've read really, really, really well. And the Bible is one of those books. If you only read four books, make one of them the Bible. But read it really, really, really well. And you won't regret it. And God will speak to you. Some of it's obvious, but some of it's not easy but do engage with God and you'll hear from him and God's word is to be obeyed whoever practices these things these commands knowing is quite good but obeying and putting it into practice is really where it's at and there's lots of other verses we could go to and I've nearly run out of time but God's word is to be obeyed so hear from God and put it into practice. Don't just know it up here. Now, I've been married to a midwife for over 30 years, and I know things about midwifery. I've kind of got it in theory. I know that only 3% of babies are born on their due date. It's just a kind of guideline date. Only 3% are actually born on the due date. I know what BBA is, born before arrival. That's before you get to the hospital or before the midwife gets to you. I could tell you what VBAC means and all these kind of things. In fact, if someone rang up for Yvonne, 
I might be tempted to say, well, she's not in, but you know, can I help you? Can I give you some advice? It's kind of good to know things, but if you're actually having a baby, then don't come to me. <laughs> and I've got absolutely no idea of what it's like to give birth. I gather it's slightly painful, but I've got no idea what it's actually like to give birth. And with God's word these days, it's quite good to know it, to get a bit more of it up here to read it. But it's something to be put into practice. It's something to be lived out. And that's where the excitement is. And I was thinking about Mary uh, as we thought about Christmas. She wanted to do God's will. She was willing to do God's will. So, what have I heard from God's word? Our time's gone. God's spoken to me over the years. I've got verses I could go to. And I encourage you to pick up on any verses that God's given you. But maybe at the start of the new year, I haven't got a kind of verse for the year or something fresh that I think God wants to speak through me, through to me. And maybe all of us, including myself, need a fresh verse from God to go on. So listen to the word. Finally, just to uh, finish up the story, the Bible's honest about failure. And Josiah had a great reform, did very well for 30 years. But what happened at the end of the time? It wasn't good. It wasn't enough to save the country from exile. And what happened to him? Did he have a peaceful death? He had the prophecy that he would have a peaceful death. But what happened after such a good time? He turned against God. He did something God told him not to do. And he needlessly went into battle that he shouldn't have gone into, and he was killed in battle, so he missed his peaceful death. And the Bible's really honest that it's not just everything's going to be roses and it'll all work out, and if someone said something good to you, that'll definitely happen. You have to embrace it and follow God. But it's not just trying our hardest to put God's word into practice in our lives. It's the, the reality that we need God's grace We've only got L plates on. We can't just try our hardest and make it happen. We're weak, we fail. We need forgiveness. And we find forgiveness in Jesus. We need the gift of salvation. It's a gift, not the result of our efforts. We need the grace of God in our lives. We need to admit our failures. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit with us. And I want us now as we turn to worship and respond to God's word saying, I want to follow you. I want to hear from you. I want to go deeper into your word. But I need your grace. I need your help. I need more of your Holy Spirit. I can't do it in my own strength. Amen.